podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Friday. It's the 28th of April. We're at the end of another month somehow. And somehow, somehow it's still raining. If anybody can explain to me what's happened this month, I'd love to know. Traditionally, we get a nice April. We have not had a nice April. We better get a damnable summer. That's all I'm saying. Or we're relocating the two-footed podcast to Australia or somewhere, because this is a shambles. Um, Right, folks, uh, we are going to have a look at last night's Premier League games. We'll do the gossip, we'll go to break, we'll come back, we'll go through the usual format of Premier League games, other than the fact I don't have Guy uh, until Tuesday. Guy will be back with me Tuesday. Yeah, I won't be here Monday because it is a bank holiday, Uh, so I'm going to sit and look out the window with the rain, apparently. Uh, hopefully May brings better weather. Anyway, last night, three games in the Premier League. So let's jump in. Southampton nil, Bournemouth won at St. Mary's. Marcus, Marcus Tavernier with the only goal of the game. A typical Marcus Tavernier goal. Gets the ball on the right-hand side of the box, works his way central, and gets a shot away with his left foot. He's done this a few times for them this season. I think he's been absolutely vital for them this year and I think now it looks like they're going to be safe they can start planning for next season and I do think he's one that can play a big part for them him on the right uh, I assume they'll keep Hamad Traore in the number 10 role Dango Watara off the left Dominic Solanke as the 9 I would bet on Enzo Lafie landing there in the summer from Laurent, I think Lerma is is pretty good, but you could probably look to upgrade him as the holding midfielder. Zerbani and Sinisi as the centre-backs, Lloyd Kelly left-back. Neto and goal I'd probably look to upgrade on, and I'd definitely be looking for a new right-back. I think they're, they're shaping up decently. This is a big win for Bournemouth. Um, they've turned things around brilliantly in the last few weeks, and they've pulled themselves out of what looked like certain relegation, and now it looks like they're certain to stay up. 33 points from 36 games. One more win probably does it. That'll be 39. I don't think anyone has, is going down with that. They've got Leeds at home with the weekend. Absolutely a winnable game. Then they get Chelsea at home. With the form Chelsea are in, a winnable game. They go to Palace, who'll probably be safe. They should get something there. Then they play Manchester United at home. I wouldn't expect them to get anything from that one. But then they go to Everton the final day. Now, they may not need anything, but I I still think they can get something from Everton because Everton look an absolute shambles at the moment. So Bournemouth, I think we can safely say, are going to be fine 
Uh, credit to Gary O'Neill. Given what he took over, I, I think he's done a remarkable job to keep them up. I think you have to give credit to the new owners who came in in January and could very easily have just sort of let it ride until the end of the season and then reassessed. But they went big in January. 20 million on Oatara, 24 million on Zabrani, uh, 10 and a half on uh, Semenyo from Bristol. They brought in Matthias Vigne. They have, he, he complicates things a bit because I think he needs to start. And if he starts, I think Tavernier is the one that should probably drop out because you'd have to go to wing backs. Now, could you play Tavernier as a right wing back even though he's left footed? Could be interesting. Could be quite interesting. He gets himself into really good positions. Um, Zerbani, Sinisi and Lloyd Kelly as a back three, I think is even better than the three of them in a back four. I really like Vigne and I think he's been good since he's gotten in the team. So yeah, him him as a wing back, I, I'm certain Lafie is going to arrive. I'm absolutely certain Enzo Lafie is going to arrive because their owner owns Laurent as well and has already done one deal. I think he'll do another. Um, I, I think they're going to be in decent shape next season. I really do. I, I'm not 100% sold on um, Gary O'Neill as the long-term fit as manager, but I think you have to keep him after what he's done this season. But again, Vigne, they brought him in on loan with an option to buy, I believe, 15 million option to buy. I think you take that up. I think he's proven to be absolutely worth it. And Hamid Traore arrived on loan with an obligation to buy. Um, and I think he's going to be really good for them next season. I, I really do think he'll be really good for them next season. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're a pretty decent team next year. Um, as for Saints, I think it's probably over now. They're six points from safety. And when you look at the run in, Newcastle away is horrible. They've got to go to Forest. They get Fulham at home. They they should win that one because I think Fulham are, are kind of winding things down a little bit. Uh, even though they've been in a decent run of form, I, I, I think Southampton can win that one. Um, I think they'll lose at Brighton. I think Liverpool will beat them final day of the season. I think Southampton are done. Even if they were to win two of the games, it's not going to be enough because the teams above them will pick up points as well. So I think... We can write Southampton off as a team who will be in the championship next year. And I think next week we'll have a bit of a look more in depth at them and what they might do and what they should do. Um, Everton won Newcastle 4. Callum Wilson put Newcastle 1 up on 28 minutes. Jolington doubled the lead on 72. Wilson with a stunner of a goal on 75. Made it 3. Dwight McNeil scored direct from a corner to make it 3-1 and give Everton a little bit of hope. And then Alexander Isak snatched the souls of all Evertonians with one of the more outrageous dribbles I've seen in the Premier League in a long time. Picks the ball up near the left corner flag with two defenders on him. Goes one way, then the other, then back the other, and then finally the other way. Leaves the two of them for dust in a really tight space. Beats a third along the touchline and puts it on a plate for Jacob Murphy to tap home. It reminded me really strongly 
of the Suarez dribble against Manchester United that set up the goal for Dirk Kout. It was probably going in anyway before Kout nicked it off the line. That was the type of the type of statement that says I'm here now and I'm a real problem. And I think Isak next season is going to be an absolute nightmare for teams to deal with. I said when they signed him, this guy has the potential to be the one of the best strikers in the world or he could go completely the opposite way and he had the biggest bust potential of the big money strikers that were out there. I, I think he's very much trending in the direction of becoming one of the best around. What a sensational player. Absolutely sensational player. And there'll be a lot of clubs gutted that they let Newcastle have a free run at him. Great win for the Toon. Awful for Everton. It leaves Everton in the bottom three. 28 points. Now two points from safety. They do have a superior goal difference on Forest, which helps. But when we look at the Everton run-in, Leicester at the weekend. If Leicester win, which, given it's at Leicester, will put Leicester four points ahead of Everton with four games left. It would move Leicester out of the bottom three as well. Well, assuming other results go their way. But it would create a four-point gap to them. And Forrest play Brentford and then have Southampton, which I think they can get four points from. Um, On Everton, after the Leicester game, they have to go to Brighton and then they welcome Man City to Goodison. And based on what we saw last night, they'll get absolutely tonked by Manchester City. So those are their next three games. They have Wolves away and Bournemouth home in their last two. I have a feeling that Bournemouth game might not mean anything for either team. I think they could be gone by then. Everton, to me, just look like a team that's going down. There's so little belief about this team. They're lost defensively. Iwobi and McNeil have some good moments in attack, but not enough. Calvert-Lewin, there's flashes of the player we saw a couple of years ago, but not nearly enough. If they lose their next three, and Leicester have that win over Everton, say, and get a draw with Fulham, that will be a five-point gap. I think because I think they'll lose to Liverpool. There'll be two games left. And Leicester's last game is home to West Ham, which is a game I think they'll win. Uh, Forrest are the other team here to keep an eye on. If they, say, get four points from the games against Brentford and Southampton, they will have a six-point advantage on Everton. And all they need then is one point to finish above them. Then you factor in Leeds... They get Bournemouth next. I think they lose. They'll lose to City. They will lose to Newcastle. I wouldn't be surprised if Leeds actually lose all five of their remaining games because they've got West Ham away and Spurs home in their last two. So I think I think Leeds are going. I think Everton are going. And I think Southampton are pretty much gone. And I think Leicester and Forest are going to scrape survival. Scrape it. 
Um, final game then last night. Oh, for the tune, sorry, I should say third place, 62 points. If you'd given that, them that at the start of the season, they'd have snapped your hand off. Um, they've, they've found real consistency in attack. They're still good defensively. They're over that threshold of plus 30 of a goal difference, which if you look back to the beginning of the Premier League era and you scan across all five of the major European leagues, you can even include Portugal and go to six, only two teams have finished with plus 30 and not made the top four. One was Fiorentina because they were deducted points. And the other, I think, was Arsenal in a season where five Premier League teams finished with plus 30. Uh, what season was that? That was the, was that the Unai Emery season? I think it was. No, sorry, it was the 16-17 season. They finished with plus 33. They finished fifth, and the teams above them all had a better goal difference. Um, they're, they're the only side that haven't been docked points to miss top four when getting plus 30. Liverpool could potentially join them this season, um, and United could scrape in with a single-digit goal difference, which just kind of tells the story of the season, really. Um, but yeah, Toon look, Toon look great value. Final game then last night, Spurs 2, United 2. United go 2-0 up. Good goal from Jaden Sancho. Cuts in on his right foot and bends it in the far corner. That's the type of thing we've gotten used to seeing from Sancho. Marcus Rashford put United uh, 2 up on 44 minutes. Just horrendous defending from Eric Dyer. Second half, Spurs with a better team. Now, United did miss a big chance through Bruno Fernandes where he hit the bar. But Spurs also missed a big chance through Eric Dyer. They missed another chance through Sun. Uh, Pedro Porro got them a goal back with a nice outside of the right boot finish. And Sun got the equaliser after great work from Harry Kane. But in that second half, Spurs should have scored four. Should have, not could have, should have scored four. United should have got one. But Spurs should have won the game. It was a fairly even encounter, and across the 90 minutes, the draw is the fair result. But if if Eric Dyer could do actual footballing things, Spurs would have won that game last night. Um, United are pretty comfortable in fourth. They're six points clear of Spurs with two games in hand. Six points clear of Villa with two games in hand and seven points clear of Liverpool with a game in hand. And United have a favourable run in. So it would be a surprise if they don't get top four. It would take a Brendan Rodgers-Leicester-esque choke job for them not to get top four at this point. Uh, For Spurs, they move back into fifth ahead of Aston Villa. They're in the mix for one of these three non-Champions League European spots, the two Europa League spots and the Conference League spot. They do have a tricky enough run-in. They get Liverpool next. Then they play Palace, and they should win that. Then they go to Villa. That'll be tough. Brentford home, they should win. A trip to Leeds will be difficult purely because Leeds might need that win to stay up. Now, they could be gone beforehand, but if they need that win to stay up, there's going to be a lot on the line there, and maybe Leeds can get something. 
But I think of their last five games, I think Spurs probably take nine points. Um, I look at Villa through their last five. It's difficult as well. They go away to United, away to Wolves. I think they split those. I think they beat Spurs at home. And I think they'll beat Brighton on the last day. So that will also be nine points. And they could, I could see them getting a draw against either United or Liverpool and potentially getting a 10th point, which would finish them above um, above Tottenham. Liverpool's running is fairly straightforward. They should beat Spurs the weekend. They should beat Fulham at home. and They should beat Brentford at home. They should go to Leicester and win. Let's say they draw with Villa and beat Southampton. Uh, that will get them to 69 points, which will be more than Spurs are going to get. And Spurs would need to win out to, to reach that number. Um, and for Brighton, it's a tough run, but I think they'll beat Wolves. I think they beat United at home, and I think they beat Everton. Then they play Arsenal. I, I think they'll draw. I think they lose to Newcastle, beat Southampton, lose to City, and lose to Brighton. Sorry, lose to to uh, to Villa. So that would give them four. That would give them thirteen points. That would actually have them finishing below Spurs. So that would actually have Brighton finishing eighth. Which wouldn't surprise me. And I think, look, if they miss Europe, it's going to be tough for them. But I still think eighth is a good season for Brighton. I'd love them to get into Europe, though. And I'm probably being generous with some of those results for Spurs because they're just so up and down this season. Um, but yeah, those were the three games last night. Three good games. Um, the the Isak dribble, though. If you haven't seen it, please go and watch it. You'll find the, the highlights of the game on YouTube. It is outrageous. That guy's six three six four, has incredible dexterity, such amazing balance, and it's in such a tight space, and he gets his feet moving so quickly. It really, really good, really, really impressive. Um, we're shaping up for a pretty good run. We really are. It looks like City will win the league, but you never know. I think third and fourth are set. But you've got four teams competing for the other three European spots. And then you've got what's going to be a hellacious battle at the bottom. And West Ham could still get sucked back into it, but I don't expect them to. They've got six games left. I think they'll do enough. Four more points will keep West Ham up in all likelihood. And you look at the fixtures. Could they get something at home to United? Yeah, probably. They could beat Leeds at home. Um, they could beat Leicester at home. They could go to Brentford and get something. So they could get something to Palace at the weekend. So, yeah, I think um, I think West Ham are going to be fine. If they play like they have been of late, they'll be okay. It's an embarrassing season for them domestically, but their focus is obviously on the, the Conference League. Get the four points as quickly as you can. Focus in on the Conference League and, and just go and try and win that. Um, the amount of teams they've lost... 16 or more games, though, is just shameful. Shameful. Wolves, Bournemouth, West Ham, Leeds, Forest, Leicester, Everton and Southampton, all with 16 defeats or more. And I would put money on Chelsea ending with 16 defeats. I'd put money on Palace ending with 16 defeats. That'll be the entire bottom half of the table. 
ending with 16 defeats or more. Um, now, look, last season, I think it was eight teams ended with 16 defeats or more. But this is this this season has just been so, so poor. The league has been genuinely dreadful for much of the season. Um, we'll do the gossip and we'll go to break. Real Madrid officials will travel to Germany this week in a bid to convince Jude Bellingham to join them in the summer. That's a lie, and here's why it's a lie. Let's take a quick look at the Bundesliga table. Borussia Dortmund are top, a point clear with the game in hand. Sorry, with five games left. There is not a chance Jude Bellingham is focused on anything else other than trying to win the league. Not a hope of it. They play Bochum away. Wolfsburg home, Gladbach home, Augsburg away, and Mainz at home. Bochum are 16th, Wolfsburg are 8th, Gladbach are 10th, Augsburg are 13th, and Mainz are 7th. Dortmund should run the table. They should win the league. They're in a great position here to win the the Bundesliga. Bayern play Hertha, Werder Bremen, Schalke, Leipzig and Cologne. Now that is an easier run-in, but Leipzig is the toughest game either team will face. But if Dortmund don't win it from here, it's because they'll have dropped poor points. They should win the league from here. Jude Bellingham is doing nothing other than focusing on those last five games. That's the only thing he's going to be doing. He's not going to be talking to Real Madrid. Simple as that. West Ham and England midfielder Declan Rice is at the top of Arsenal's transfer list this summer. Uh, I think everybody has known that since February. So I think the Telegraph are pretty much just trying to fill uh, some column inches at the moment. Manchester United and Brazil midfielder Casemiro is a tra- summer transfer target for Thomas Tuchel. Um, I doubt that Casemiro would leave United after one season. He seems to enjoy himself there. Thomas Tuchel is also keen to be reunited with Mateo Kovacic. Uh, these do seem to be Thomas Tuchel targets. Now, Bayern Munich don't allow their managers much, if any, input in transfers. So I, I don't really believe these rumours. Uh, Bayern have no intention of letting Ryan Gravenberch go this summer. I think that's smart. You might as well keep him for the year and, and see if you can develop him into a player that can contribute. Right now, you'd probably have to sell him at you know what you paid or a loss. If you can build him up for a year, you might get a £10 million profit. Uh, former Bayern Munich boss Julian Nagelsmann is at the top of a four-man shortlist to become the next Spurs manager, but the German may prove too expensive. I'm not really sure how that would work. His wages would be too expensive. Is there a fee to be paid to Bayern? It's possible. There was talk that they'd have to speak to Bayern first. Um... I'd let, you know, I don't know who else is on that list because I'm not going to read an article in the Tory Graph, but I'd imagine Ruben Amram is on that list. Uh, I would say I would say Graham Potter is on that list because Spurs have long been fans of Potter, but I, I think Potter should avoid uh, another big six job when he takes his next role. I think West Ham 
is actually the role for Potter. I think that's a club that would fit him well. I think there's a, a really good group of players there that would fit him. Um, Amram is actually a better fit for Spurs, but Nagelsmann would be the one to go and get in terms of what he could become. Like Nagelsmann, the idea of him is still better than the actual thing that we see, but he has obviously shown quite a lot at Hoffenheim and Leipzig and, and at Bayern, but we're still waiting for him to really have that that wow moment where one of his teams just sort of blows you away with with the style of football and, and the the results, the form, the consistency. Um, but more important for Spurs is actually going to be appointing their new sporting director. And that's something they should be looking to do before they bring in Julian Nagelsmann. And if it was me, I'd be going to Red Bull Salzburg and throwing all of the money at Freund. All of the money and just saying, look, who do you want? Just come and run the club. Because he is he's absolutely outstanding at what he does. Um, Ralph Ranick has urged Nagelsmann to become the next Spurs boss, apparently. Manchester City are looking at a deal for Kieran Tierney, with Aston Villa and Newcastle also interested. I don't believe Villa are interested because they've got two left backs in the books already and they signed one in January. Uh, so I think they might pass on a left back this summer. Newcastle are long linked to Tierney and that would make sense for everybody. It would also bring him closer to home. City, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I don't. I think Kieran Tierney is really good. I'm probably higher, higher on him than most. But I don't think he's City calibre. Um... So I think Newcastle is probably where he goes. Aston Villa are weighing up a move for Ivan Tony. Now, you have no idea how much I want this to be true. I have been banging the Villa should sign Tony drum for what, now a year? Because I think the idea of Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins up front as a two would be incredible. I, I think Premier League defenders would have an absolute nightmare trying to deal with those two. The issue I have is that this report is from Fraser Fletcher, who's a spoofer. So I'm not going to put any faith in it. Uh, Joe Felix will not return to Atletico Madrid in the summer with the 23-year-old set to extend his loan at Chelsea. That's not true. Brighton are closing in on a deal to sign Joe Pedro from Watford. I think this would be a brilliant deal. I genuinely do think this would be a brilliant deal for Brighton. I think he is super talented. I know, I've i seen some Brighton fans a little bit concerned about the goal return, but he's not your traditional number nine. He's more a nine and a half. He's a facilitator. He makes others better around him. He drops into deeper roles, picks the ball up and gets others involved. He creates space for your wide forwards and your attacking midfielders to run into. He's really, really special. And I think if they get him, if they have him, Ferguson and Enciso as their nines slash nine and a halfs, tens, I think that's hugely promising for Brighton. Hugely promising. Because I think you can put together any combination of those two and it will work. Enciso behind Joe Pedro that will work, especially with Matoma on the right and March or Buenanote on Matoma on the left, rather, 
Matoma or Adringa, who'll be back next year. Adingra? Adingra. Adingra. Uh, he'll be back next year. He's been unbelievable this season. So that'll be two great options on the left. On the right, they'll have Sully March and Buenanote. That's two really good options there. Um, so if Sully can keep up the form he's shown this season, which I'm hopefully can. I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I would bet on Buenanote having a, a bit of a breakout season next year. I think he's special. Um, so that that's a really exciting attack. Now, it remains to see what happens with their midfield. They'd obviously love to keep Caicedo and McAllister. And there's a possibility that they will keep both of them, but my expectation is at least one will leave. I think Alexis is the more likely to leave because I think they're more open to moving him on. But if a big offer comes in for Caicedo, they'll they'll take it because that's how they run their business. As long as you treat them with respect, you don't try an end around to go through the agent and you pay what you're asked to pay, Tony Bloom will happily do business with you and he'll, and he'll do business at favourable terms. Like he won't demand stupid money up front He'll allow you to spread the payments out. He Tony Bloom is very hard-nosed, but he is very agreeable as long as you meet two basic bits of decency with him. You don't try and bully him on the price and you don't try and bypass the club when dealing with them. Napoli will not trigger the €30 million Euro option to buy Tangay Endembele from Tottenham on a permanent deal. I've been thinking about this, and an Endembele Basuma midfield two in a three four three could be really really good. So for Spurs next season, assuming Kane stays, and he may not, let's just say it's Kulusevski, Kane, and Son. We know that they are really good. Poro was the right wing back. I think it's going to explode next season. Destiny Adoji, he's going to be special. So keep an eye on him. You've got Spence and Cessny on his backups. So that's pretty strong. You've got Richarlison as a backup in attack. You need one more backup in attack. And I'd be bringing back Brian Hill as the backup to Kulisevsky. So one more in attack. And maybe it's just that you keep Dan Juma, but I think you can do better. Maybe go and find more of a poacher type um, as a backup to Kane. Your attack will be set with one. I wouldn't do anything in midfield. Poro and Spence, Adoji and Sessegnon, plus you've got Perisic another year. He can play both sides. I'd be selling Emerson Royale. In midfield, you've got... Lacelso can come back. I, I, I would sell him, but he could come back. But you've got Basuma, Bentoncourt, Heusberg... Papi Matar Sar, Ollie Skip and Harry Winks, plus Endombele. I would sell Harry Winks, and I'd, I'd be open to offers for Heusberg. Because if I have a five-man group of Basuma, Endombele, Bentoncourt, Skip, and Sar, plus is it Harvey White is the kid they have there, or Ollie White? There's a white kid there. That sounds bad. There's a kid there whose surname is White, who's a midfielder, who's highly regarded as well. I would sell Winks and, and probably Heusberg, given his age. And that will that money will allow me, along with the money for Emerson Royale, 
to go big on my centre-backs. Because you've got Romero, and I'd keep Tanganga as the backup. I'd be looking for a starter in the middle, and a backup in the middle. And I know he's just signing a deal, but Eric Dyer got to go. So you're shipping him, you're shipping Davinson Sanchez, you're waving farewell to Clement Langley after his disastrous loan. Ben Davies is serviceable as a backup left-side centre-back, that's fine. So starting cent- starting left side, starting middle, back up middle, starting goalkeeper. That's the priority. Starting goalkeeper, the three in defence and the one up front. That's five players Spurs need for the squad, to have a strong squad. You put them under the right manager and I think they can do things next season. Um, I've gotten sidetracked. Manchester United are preparing a bid for Monaco's Brazilian right-back Vanderson, but could face competition from several other Premier League sites. He's very good, and I knew he was going to be really good a couple of years ago when Brentford tried to sign him, because Brentford are really good at what they do. And generally, the rule of thumb is, if if Brentford or Brighton want a player, keep an eye on that player. Uh, He's done well for Monaco. Last season, he came in mid-season and established himself as right as the starting right-back. This season, he's been really good. He's good on the ball. He's happy to get forward. He's not great defensively, but decent defensively. Um, yeah, I, I think he'd be a good signing for United. AC Milan are monitoring the situation of Reese Nelson, who has yet to sign a new contract with the Gunners. He'll be a good pickup for somebody. AC Milan are interested in Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think Serie A would suit him. Uh, Brentford, Fulham and Brighton are all scouting Joseph Pansel, who has scored 14 goals for Genk this season. Um, I wouldn't be a big fan. I wouldn't be a big fan. He has had a good season. He has had a good season. But he's 25 and this is the first season in Belgium, of of his four years there that have that been impressed. They did loan him a couple of years ago to a team in Turkey, and he did pretty well. Um, and I can see here he, he did fairly well in the Hungarian League and the Ghanaian Premier League as a young player, but I don't know. Maybe it's the change of position this year has suited him a bit better. So perhaps that's what the case is. Um I don't know. It would I, I wouldn't. But it depends on the price. It would depend a lot on the price. He's a squad player for any of those clubs, though. He's not He's not a starter for Brentford, Fulham, or Brighton. Um, in my view, anyway. I don't think he's a starter for any of them. I think he's a squad player. I, I think he's better off the left than the right, but... He, he does seem to prefer to play on the right. As part of why I don't think Brighton are in for me, he prefers to play on the right and he is right-footed. They want a left-footer there because that's one of the, the, the foundational things with how De Zerbe wants to play. Um, I, I could maybe see him at Brentford. I could maybe see Brentford going from, but I, I wouldn't personally. Um, is that it? I think that's everything. Right, we will take a break and when we come back, We will run through this weekend's Premier League game. So see you in a sec. 
The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Right, welcome back. So I'm just actually looking at another replay of this Alexander Isak assist from last night. And the more I watch it, the the better it gets. I hadn't realised, he actually picks the ball up way back near the halfway line before he starts his run. It is absolutely outrageous. That is better than the Suarez. Now, admittedly, it's against significantly worse opponents. Suarez did it against the United team that would finish second that year and should have won the title but bottled it. Um, That's against a team that's probably going down. Anyway, we have 10 Premier League games this weekend starting tomorrow at 12.30 and running to to Tuesday night, which is nice. So it's decently spread out. There are only three games tomorrow. Then there are five on Sunday. One Monday and one on Tuesday. We also have two games on Wednesday, a game on Thursday, and then Friday is the only game next week without a game. Which is great, really. It's between today and Monday the 8th, there's only one day without a Premier League game. So that's good. Uh, right, let's jump in. 12.30 tomorrow, early kickoff, Crystal Palace versus West Ham. 
Palace are the more informed team, although they did lose last time out to Wolves. But that, they went into that game having taken 10 points from the previous 12 available. West Ham have been in better form of late, but did lose to Liverpool in the week. This game is obviously at Selhurst Park, which does give Palace the advantage. But they're home and dry. They don't really need to do a whole lot much more. They'll probably want to add more points to the tally, just to be certain that they don't have any last-minute surprises. But, you know, they don't really need to put too much pressure on themselves, whereas West Ham probably do still need three or four more points. Uh, Palace injury-wise, they're hopeful Zaha's back, which would be a huge boost. Nathaniel Klein could be back. Anderson could be back, but it seems unlikely that he'll be back for this one. They'll probably keep him out till the next game, which is fine because Chris Richards uh, can step in and Joel Ward is fit again, so he can play right back. Nathan Ferguson is out for God knows how long now. Uh, for West Ham, Skimaka is the only one out. And, and I'm I'm really confused by what's gone on there because it doesn't look like he told the club he was having surgery. David Moyes said on the 16th of April, all I know is he had knee surgery. We're awaiting clear information on exactly what's been done. We don't know if it was a washout. We don't know if anything has been removed, floating bone. I've not got the answer to that. That's bizarre. Hopefully someone has asked him something about this in the last couple of weeks. But there's been no update at all uh, on Premier Injuries. And they do keep this up to date as much as they can. Um... I'm going to pick a draw in this one. It just feels like a draw. Hodgson versus Moyes, it feels like a 1-1. So that's what I'll go with. Uh, Moving on then to the 3 p.m. kickoff, there are only two of them. Brighton at home to Wolves. Brighton obviously in eighth. They're in sticky form at the moment. I'd describe it as two defeats in the last five, only two wins in the last five. Also went out of the FA Cup semi-final on penalties to Manchester United. But they are at home here, and they are the better team, obviously. Wolves, though, have won three of their last four. And credit to Julian Lopetegui. He's finally fallen upon a balance that's working for him. And they look a significantly improved team over these last couple of games. For Wolves, no Sasa, no Chiquinho. But they're hopeful that Bubakar Traore could make this game. For Brighton, we're looking at no Lalana. Evan Ferguson should be back, at least for the bench. Jakob Motor was meant to be back by now and still isn't, so I don't know what's gone on there. I'm guessing Jeremy Sarmiento's season is over. Uh, Enoch Mwepu is, is retired, obviously, which is such a shame. And Tariq Lamptey, I would, I would doubt we'll see him again this season as well. And his injuries are just... So concerning. I think Brighton might need to just look at finding another option because Veltman's probably going to leave. Lamptey can't stay fit. I think they've got to address right back this summer. Um, I think they probably need to buy two right backs. One in the Veltman mode, kind of that centre-back who can play there. And then one in the Lamptey mode, that more attacking option. If I could suggest some names, Ronnie Edwards of Peterborough I think would be a really good fit in that kind of Veltman role he normally plays centre back but he's really good on the ball and I think he's quick enough to play right back especially 
when it's a more conservative uh, right-back role. And in terms of the attacking one, I, I mean, Tino Livermento might be the play if Saints are going down and are going to have a fire sale. Now, they, they might not have a fire sale, but I still look at him. They could also look at Kyle Walker-Peters if they want a fullback that can do a bit of everything. Um, just a solid 7 out of 10 every game. They could probably look at him. Um, they could look at someone like Maitland-Niles maybe on a free. He's not that lampy type of explosive athlete, but he he's a good serviceable Premier League player who could do a job for a number of teams, uh, a number of teams up and down the division. Um, they might just keep faith with Lamptey and just buy that more Veltman type. They could even extend Veltman, but I wouldn't. I'd look to move on, and I think Ronnie Edwards would be a great fit for them. Um, I'm going to pick a Brighton win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Brighton in this one. The other game then tomorrow is Brentford at home to Forest. Brentford had lost three in a row, but they've taken four points in the last two games, so they've sort of arrested the slide. They're safe. They don't need to worry. They're pretty much certain of a top-half finish given the mess at Chelsea. So that's going to be a great achievement in year two. Forest need points. They ended a, a long losing run with that win in the week over Brighton. I think they can go to Bournemouth, or sorry, to Brentford and get something, but they've got a lot of injuries. Uh Brentford, no Pontus Janssen, no Lewis Potter, no Strakosha, no Norgard, and no Ayer. Uh, and I would be surprised if we saw any of them play again this season. For Forrest, this is this is obscene. So just for context, Manchester United have nine injuries at the moment. Chelsea have seven, Bournemouth have seven. And they're the most, other than Forrest, who have 14. And most of these are season-enders. Biancone out with a torn ACL. Chris Wood out for the season. Scott McKenna, broken collarbone, done for the season. Willie Bolly, they hopefully might come back for the last game of the year, but in all likelihood he won't. Uh, Czech Koyate out for a few weeks. Scarpa out for another couple of weeks. Ryan Yates out for a couple of weeks. Jack Callback could be back. John Joe Shelby uh, is back in the picture. Musini Akate is a doubt. Teo Wani is a doubt. Omar Richards hasn't kicked a ball all season. Nico Williams has a fractured jaw. He's done for the season. And Dean Henderson was meant to be back by now. But on April 20th, they said he's not really any closer. How? He broke a finger or something, didn't he? Was it not? A, it could have been a fault, but how's he not back by now? I I don't know. I don't know. I I think I think they might as well just say goodbye to him and send him back to United because, really and truly, they're not going to put him back in the team anyway. But what a what a horrendous injury list! Something has gone badly wrong at Forest this year in their medical department. Um, they they really want to have a, an in depth review of, of the whole sports science and medical departments this summer. I'm going to go for a draw. I'm going to go for a draw on this one. I think Forest are so desperate for points, and based on how they've played against both Liverpool and Brighton, I think they can get a draw. I'll go one one. We'll move to Sunday. Then we have four two p.m. kickoffs. And a 
So the first 2pm kickoff is Manchester United versus Aston Villa. I think this is a really big game for both teams. United because they're still in need of points to secure top four. Villa because I think it's a really good litmus test of where they are right now. Under Emery, they've been phenomenally good. And the form they've shown under Unai Emery since he took over is not just top four form. It's easy third place across a season kind of form. Whereas under Gerrard, it was absolutely relegation form. Um, Their points per game under Gerrard, if I'm not mistaken, was like 0.8, which is about 31 points for the season, which brings you down every single season. Um, Under Emery, it's 2.1 points per game, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just pull this up. I have this written down here somewhere. And uh, here we go. Yeah, 0.8 points per game under Gerard, Nine points from 11 games. That's 31 points across a season. Under Emery, 22, uh, sorry, 42 points from 20 games. 2.1 points per game, which is 80 points across a season. That is incredibly impressive. What a turnaround. What an amazing turnaround. They're on a 10-game winning run, which, as I went over the other day, is their best since Martin O'Neill was in charge. I'm so impressed by what Emery has done. But this is a big litmus test for them. And I, I fancy them to go there and get something. United, as I mentioned, have nine different injuries. No Martinez, no Van de Beek, no Varane. All likely done for the season. Um, or in, in the case of Martinez and Van de Beek, definitely done for the season. Uh, McTominay is out. Maguire should be okay. Garnacho is still out. Heaton is out. Jones is out. And obviously Mason Greenwood is uh, is not allowed to play football. So Villa, five players injured. No Cash, no Kamara. That's, that's a big loss. No Bailey, no Coutinho, no Jed Steer. Cash and Kamara are are big losses, but hopefully they'll have them back fairly soon. But I think they can go to Old Trafford and get something. So I'm going to go for another draw here. I'm going to go 2-2. They beat United in Emery's first game. And I think they'll get get something at Old Trafford. United are better at home than they have been away, but I don't fancy United's defence against Ollie Watkins. And I think with the way Jacob Ramsey's playing at the moment... I think he'll cause United a lot of problems running off the back of their midfield. Juan Bissaka is getting a lot of praise of late. He'll be the direct opponent of Ramsey when Villa drop into the flat four in midfield. But when Villa attack, they move into a box midfield and Ramsey moves central. And Juan Bissaka is horrendous at tracking a runner across the field. So I think Ramsey can have some joy in this game. I'm going to go 2-2. Moving on then, Fulham... Versus Manchester City. Fulham have no Mitrovic, no Kurzawa. Harry Wilson should be okay. Uh, Willian probably out for this one. Uh, City's only injury is Nathan Aki, which is a blow because he's been great this season. But other than that, they're at full strength. They've done an amazing job keeping their players fit all season. Which, you know, when you have the best of the best, 
is uh, is an easier job than it is for some others. There's no point in spending long in this game. City are the informed team in the league. Five wins in a row. Fulham, they have won two of the last five, but I, I think they're set for the season. I don't think they've got anything else to concern themselves with. The mission will stay in the division. They're staying in the division. I think they lose this one. I think they might lose it fairly comprehensively. I'll go 4-1 to City. Moving on then, it's Bournemouth versus Leeds. Bournemouth are obviously the team in form in this one. They've won three of their last five, and I think four of their last six or four of their last seven. Whereas Leeds have won one of their last five, got spanked a couple of times, threw away a lead against Leicester in the week, and I think look like a team heading for the championship, unfortunately for them. No Max Volber, no Sinistera. He's done for the season. Stuart Dallas is out, and Tyler Adams probably out for the season, which is such a huge blow for them. Um, he he won't be going down with them. Someone will buy him in the summer because he's really good. Um, Bournemouth, Hamid Traore not quite ready. Jack Stevens is back. Matthias Vini, uh, Matthias Vigne, he should be good to play. Sinisi should be fine. Ryan Fredericks is out. Stanislav is out. Marcus Tavernier might be out for the season. He he done his hamstring in the game last night, so he could be out for the rest of the season, which would be a blow. But it's in a position where they've got some other options, so I think they'll be okay. I'm going to go for the Bournemouth win. I'll go 2-1. Bournemouth to confirm Premier League status for next year. Uh, next up then, Newcastle versus Southampton. Two and third. Four wins from the last five. They've been great for the last couple of months. It shows how good Villa are, the tonking they gave them. Because Newcastle have been outrageously good for probably eight or ten games now. Uh, And they've been strong all season, but just this last eight or ten games, I think Newcastle have been really impressive. Um, Whereas Saints are just just awful. One point from from the last five. They'll have nobody to blame, only themselves when they go down, because the decision to bring in Jones as manager was a disaster. This Salas chap, I'm sure he might be a good manager someday. For now, he's not. They've got no... Uh, Bella Kotchup is a major doubt. Uh, James Ward-Prowse should be okay. Salisu's out. He might not play again this season. There's some concerning reports going around that the reason he's not playing is because basically he doesn't want to play. Um, Tino Livermento is working his way back, but unlikely to play in this one. Juan Larios probably out for the season. Roman Perot currently out, which means they don't actually have a left back. So probably looking at Maitland-Niles and, and Walker-Peters carrying on in the in the fullback spots. Uh, I, there's no point in getting into this. Newcastle are going to win this game. Like Newcastle are going to win this game. This is a game that a top four team wins comfortably. And I wouldn't be surprised if they smashed. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they smashed Southampton. I really wouldn't. I just, watching Southampton, I'm just not sure what the plan is. Uh, I didn't understand some of the changes that were made um, for last night's night's game. Didn't really understand the decision to put Alex McCarthy in goal. Basunu has been playing better of late. I don't know why El Yanassi is still starting. I don't know why Adam Armstrong is starting. I don't know why Tia Walcott is still starting. I know he scored against... Um, Arsenal, but he's he not like he's playing well. 
just an empty shirt and he was garbage last night. Um, Newcastle to win this one 4-0. Newcastle to win 4-0. We move on then to the 4.30 Super Sunday game which is Liverpool at home to Tottenham. Tottenham will go into the game with no Emerson Real, no Hugo Lloris, no Yves Basuma, no Rodrigo Bentancourt and no Ryan Sessegnon. Liverpool, no Calvin Ramsey, no Stefan Besetic, uh, no Bobby Firmino. Ibu Kanate is good to go. Diogo Jota should be fine. Naby Keita, this one probably comes a little bit too early for him to be involved. Liverpool's form has been better. They've won three of three in a row. They haven't lost in the last five. They're functioning more as a team. I have issues with this new shape. I don't really like it all that much, but it, it's won them three games in a row. Uh, so I think they will stick with it. My big concern is, is the team selection of Jurgen Klopp, who continues to play a certain player who has no business being in a team in the top half of the Premier League, forgetting a team that should have ambitions to win the title. He wouldn't get a game at any other top half team. Literally not one of those teams would take him. Fulham maybe. Fulham maybe. But they're kind of a fake top half team because Chelsea are in the bottom half because of Chelsea, not because just 10 teams better than them. He wouldn't get a game at Chelsea, wouldn't get a game at Wolves. So there's half the league wouldn't touch him, and yet he's starting every game for Liverpool. Um, I'm going to back a Liverpool win, though. At home to Spurs, yeah, we'll, we'll go 2-1. No, we'll go 2-0. A nice, boring 2-0 where not, not much happens. That's what we'll go with. Uh, on to Monday, then. And this is probably the biggest game of the weekend. Leicester at home to Everton. 18th versus 19th. Both teams desperate for the win. A draw can help Leicester. A draw does nothing for Everton, really. Because Everton have a tougher run in. I think Leicester are going to win this game. They've they've taken four points in the last two games. They've actually looked more like a team in the last two games. Soyuncu's actually come back in and been pretty good. There was about half an hour against City where it all just seemed to start working. Now, part of that was City took their... Well, no, biggest part of that was City took their foot off the pedal. But part of it was also Leicester just figuring a couple of things out. And Vardy starting to look dangerous again. Daka looks a bit more dangerous. Ianacho's playing well. They've got Madison. They've got Harvey Barnes. They've got good attacking players. And if they can lean into that, they should be okay. Now, Ianacho was out for a couple of weeks. Uh, so that, that, so that, there's the blow. No James Justin, no Ricardo Pereira, which is just rough. Uh, Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans has been working his way back and he's been close to returning and feeling better and all the rest since about November. And he still hasn't played. Uh, Vestergaard is done for the season, but nobody cares. And Ryan Bertrand, um, he just wouldn't play anyway. So it makes little to no difference. For Everton... No Townsend, no Holgate, no Venegra. No, Holgate should be back. Holgate should be back from a suspension. Uh, no Venegra. Seamus Coleman should be okay. I think Leicester win. I do. I think Leicester win. Monday night, under the lights, at the King Power. The place will be rocking. I just don't see how Everton 
deal with Madison and Barnes and Dewsbury Hall moving in from midfield and Telemans buzzing around. I'm going to back a Leicester win. I'll go 2-1 Leicester. Uh, last game then is Tuesday night. It is a London derby. It is Arsenal at home to Chelsea. Top versus 11th. Uh, Chelsea have lost five games in a row in all competitions. Frank Lampard has lost all five of his games in charge, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, Chelsea, no Broya, no Mount, no Cucurella, no Koulibaly. Kai Havertz is a doubt. Reese James is done for the season and no Bettinelli, which means Aspilicueta as a right wing back because Frank has no idea what he's doing. Uh, for the Gunners, no Tomiyasu done for the season. No Saliba probably done for the season. And Elneny is out. I think he's got a torn ACL. Um, so he won't play again this season. Arsenal have been poor of late. Threw away two-goal lead against Liverpool. Did the same against West Ham. Drew with the team bottom of the league and got spanked by City. However, Frank Lampard is the cure to all ails. And I think they'll... I think they'll demolish Chelsea on Monday night. Tuesday night, rather. Tuesday night. I'm going to go 3-0 to the Arsenal. They'll give themselves a bit of hope. Now, in all likelihood, they will ne- they will be second in the table when they take the field on Tuesday night. So that might add a little bit more pressure to them. The fact that City will have gone above them and City will still have a game in hand. And that might smack home a bit of a realisation that they've let this really slipped through their fingers though like I've been saying all season I think only really optimistic Arsenal fans and people that weren't paying attention to City thought that Arsenal were going to win the league it's always been City's league to to lose in truth um, but yeah I think Arsenal will win 3-0 against Chelsea so there we go that's all I've got for the week I will be back on Tuesday with Mr Guy Drinkle which is nice so uh, we'll see you then bye bye Podcast Network.